Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the Long-Term Care Commission's recently released recommendations and alternative or additional recommendations offered by five commissioners. With me to discuss the Long-Term Care Commission's work is Georgetown professor and Urban Institute fellow, Judy Fader. Welcome, Judy. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. As always, let me provide some background. As part of last year's fiscal cliff agreement, the Congress created a long-term care commission tasked to make recommendations to improve long-term care delivery. The commission was created largely as a result of the demise of the Affordable Care Act's Class Act. Listeners may recall that I interviewed Connie Gardner on the Class Act last month or in August. Today, more than 12 million Americans rely on long-term care services, and this number will grow dramatically with the aging of the 78 million baby boomers. The oldest of this generation are approaching age 68. Currently, however, only impoverished older Americans and the disabled have long-term care coverage via state Medicaid programs. Because companies, about 10 in number, offer long-term care policies with expensive annual premiums, only about 8 million Americans, or 13% of those over age 55, have private long-term care insurance. As a result, long-term care services are provided moreover informally by an estimated 42 million Americans at what AARP estimates an annual out-of-pocket cost equaling $450 billion. Two weeks ago, the 15-member Long-Term Care Commission voted 9-6 in approving 28 recommendations. The vote was bipartisan. Six commissioners dissented, five of whom, due to the commission's failure to address how best to structurally finance long-term care services. Again with me to discuss the subject is Georgetown professor and Urban Institute fellow Judy Fader. Professor Fader's bio is posted on the website, so I'll not read it here. So with all that, let's begin. The commission, Judy, as you well know, did vote to approve these 28 recommendations in moreover three categories, service delivery, workforce, and finance. Among these, what were the most substantive recommendations in your mind? Well, in my mind, David, what is, what is uppermost in my mind is what the Commission did not recommend. The biggest problem facing people who need long-term care and the nation in terms of long-term care policy is how to pay for it. And in not addressing that, I mean, it's the toughest job there is, the toughest issue. In not addressing that, the Commission actually failed to achieve its charge, which was to develop a comprehensive long-term care strategy for the future. Financing is the ballgame. Okay, but the, fi- the, the Long-Term Care Commission did make some related recommendations. So, for example, allowing disabled workers to access Medicaid. So, in your mind, those were Those insufficient? Are, that, uh, grossly insufficient. The commission recommendations talk about achieving a balance, a public-private balance in long-term care financing, and they also talk about enabling people to prepare for a need for long-term care. Let me take the second one first. It, long-term care, the need for expensive, extensive long-term care, is um, something for which we're all at risk. It's understandable, it's easy for people to understand that it's a risk, an uncertainty, as well as a catastrophe for younger people, since only 2% of people under the age of 65 actually need long-term services and supports. But among us older people, the need for extensive, expensive care is unpredictable as well. 
half of us will die without spending anything on long-term care. And a very small percentage of us are predicted to spend hundreds of thousand dollars. Now, when we have that kind of a catastrophe, or a face, that a risk of catastrophe, it, you can't deal with it by savings. Um, or you can't plan to have enough children, or the right children, to take care of you. We deal with unpredictable, catastrophic risks, risks through insurance. And in order to enable people to prepare, we need to have a viable insurance mechanism. Now, to come to the uh, public-private balance, it's easy for experts to agree that we need some kind of public-private partnership. That we've, done, we've talked about that for decades. What's hard is to decide what role each sector should play. And that's where the commission just punted. Uh, the, the private sector, we have lots of evidence, and it's actually included in the commission report. We have lots of evidence that the private sector cannot develop a viable, ins affordable insurance part, um, uh, product that people will buy. Um, and even proponents of improving the private long-term care insurance market estimate that with those improvements, at best, we would have 8 in 10 Americans without insurance protection for long-term care. So when we look at that evidence, and I've researched in this area for years, what needs to be said is that a public insurance program needs to be at the core of our future long-term care insurance uh, strategy and our long-term care financing strategy. And with four other commissioners, we recommended exactly that. Okay, well, let me use the word easy. You said it was easy to... Uh, come to agreement that there should be some public-private arrangement for long-term care insurance. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there were six Republicans or six persons who were named to the commission by Republican leadership in the Congress, and all six of them wrote a letter saying, what did that say? I, it said that not a dollar in additional money should go toward long-term care. You're absolutely correct. Now, those commissioners, five of those six, voted for the commission recommendations, telling you hmm, how much weight you should put upon their value to people who need long-term care. Uh, the, uh, the, so they, but they agree in theory that it should be uh, private, it should be a balance, uh, uh, but, and they did in the report, but then they undermine that sense of agreement with the letter, with the letter they wrote. And at the same time, didn't they say on the positive side, that if there was such a public-private, that it would take some pressure off of Medicare and Medicaid. It's it's Medicaid that the that the focus is on, and um, and I it is I think true that if there is a new financing mechanism, it can take it will take some of the pressure off Medicaid. But the real issue is building that financing mechanism. And from the Republican members of the commission, interestingly, there was support for tax credits, new. Um, improvements in the tax preferences given for the purchase of long-term care insurance. Uh, interesting that they support those and then said they won't spend any money since that we all know, as the Congressional Budget Office makes clear, that spending money through the tax code is the same as spending money, direct spending. So they're a little, um, shall we say, ambiguous there. Uh, but they are not supportive of what's needed, which is, uh, sadly, which is a, a, a 
uh, it's sad that they're not supportive of what's needed, which is a public insurance program. Let me now talk to you about, talk, ask you about rather the private insurance market. In the last decade, we've gone from approximately 100 companies offering private long-term care insurance policies to 10. And as I noted in the intro, only a small percent of Americans actually have a policy, and in large part that's because of uh, fairly pricey annual premiums. In fact, I can tell you that, and premium increases, yes. I can tell you yes. that year over year, the last two years, my mother's long-term care insurance policy rose 40 percent. So why is it that the private market has been unable to develop a product? Well, this, this is a, um, a tough product for insurers to offer because they're uh, um, hoping that people will buy a policy now uh, for services that they may not need for decades. And they... If uh, at all. If at all, exactly. It is an unpredictable risk, as we said earlier. Uh, and it is, has been hard for them to design that product and to keep it viable. In the, when you talk about the decline in the number of insurers, those have left the business, or the premium hikes, they, that is attributed in the last several years um, to two separate phenomena. One is, and this doesn't make you feel real confident in the product, they predicted that more people would buy and then lapse, stop paying their premiums. Than and we know they, they don't. They, they, essentially, they held on to the policies. So they had more people um, likely to claim benefits than they anticipated. The other thing that happened that is not the fault of the industry is that, as we know, the economy went to hell. And so the interest that, that they were counting on for, from reserves is not forthcoming. So they, the, the shock to the economy shocked what is already a very challenged product. And it's challenged for the reasons that you said. It's, um, it is pricey. Uh, particularly if you buy when you're older, um, and it may, may not make sense to buy when you're younger because it is so far in advance and you've got other obligations, uh, and because, as we were saying, the premiums may get hiked, so it's a product of questionable value. The product is also limited it, to dollar benefits, and the, dollar, the, the dollars that you buy as a, an amount that you'd be covered per day or over your lifetime may look good to you today, but if you find that you need the product in 20 years and those dollars did not increase, you may be able to pay extra to get some inflation increase. They may be not worth very much when you get them. So that plus the uncertainty and these premium hikes, which is pretty much the kiss of death, I, I don't know why, whether you, why would you recommend that somebody buy such an undependable product. Okay. The commission had about 100 days to do its work. It had to report by September 12th, and part of the problem was the commissions were not named until June. So there wasn't a great deal of expectation uh, for the commissioner, for the commission's work. But that point aside, some say the commission was unable to substantively address structural financing issues because the commission, beyond the 100-day limitation, uh, was because some, again, argue that the actuarial work is still needed to identify a sound insurance program. What's your response to that? Well, my, my response is that the, that the 
um, that it's possible right now based on what what we know a lot of research it is possible to chart a course for an effective long-term care financing strategy for this nation and that course I'll just reiterate would have a public program at its core it would we can talk a little bit more about how it the various ways it might be structured that would not eliminate the importance of family care or family resources um, or of private insurance to fill it in. It might make it easier for private insurers to manage a defined burden. That's the direction in, we, in which we need to go. So uh, you could have done that, I, I could have done that in a day. Um, it doesn't take 100 days to do that. Actually deciding on the details of a financing program and getting it enacted does require a great deal of actuarial effort. But that was not what the, the commission was not trying to do that. It, it, was, it was charged with laying out a course. And that I wish it had done, and we do it in our um, alternative report, which we believe does offer a comprehensive strategy. There was a provision that the commission could report out actual legislative. You're right language. about that. Did, that. Was that ever discussed? Uh, it, uh, the, it was recognized that we really couldn't do that. Okay. Uh, well, let me ask you then on the on point. Describe as specifically as you can in, in a limited period. Obviously, we have here what a public insurance. Um, long-term insurance policy would look like. Sure, and it could take a couple of forms. So um, one of my colleagues was uh, is a strong advocate of a, a benefit based in Medicare, essentially amending Medicare, which does not now cover uh, the kinds of personal assistance that we that is long-term services and supports. Um, it only covers what they call skilled care, nurse or rehabilitative care. Um, you could add such a benefit to Medicare. The an alternative, which is a, an approach that I put forward, is that you could create a limited long-term care benefit. Uh, it could be defined in terms of dollars per day, as class was, triggered by the occurrence of a functional impairment, a need for assistance with basic activities, and then entitling you to a, uh, a, an amount of dollars per day, or could, which could also be shifted to what we call a service benefit. So it could be transformed into a number of visits at, at home, for example. The proposal that I made, hoping to and continue to hope that it will attract interest, is that this, would, this benefit might be offered uh, with a waiting period. And the waiting period would vary with a person's income at retirement. And it could be modified for people who become disabled at other points. But it, it would have a longer waiting period, the wealthier a person is shorter the less we the, the more limited the resources a person has so this kind of variable waiting period would create a space for more affluent people either to save or to purchase private long-term care insurance and then would enable other people to prepare as they as their incomes allow them that's my hope as a kind of think of it as to some degree a mandatory class benefit because that was voluntary but this would be tax financed it would come after people had made some um, insurance private insurance plans or relied on their family or their own resources, but it would be a core benefit that people could count on that would enable planning in case a need for long-term care arises. So I hate to say it would be possibly a Part E 
to the Medicare program. I'm not frightened by the alphabet. The, uh, the waiting period is really, correct me if I'm wrong, a de facto means testing approach. Is that correct? It's, I'd call it income related. Right. It is, it is a way of relating a benefit to people's capacity to pay. That's correct. Okay. And, and the, the, but the idea is by making it variable. If you don't make it variable, the concern would be that you only have a public benefit after, say, two, three years by which most people who need extensive, expensive long-term care will have exhausted their resources and turned to Medicaid anyway. So you'd end up creating a public benefit only useful to the more affluent. By making the waiting period variable, you essentially are able to make this kind of catastrophic protection available to everybody. So just to give it more specificity, what would give me a give me a window of what the waiting period would be, say for a Medicare beneficiary who at retirement is with an annual income of north of eighty thousand. I'm not. I, I, this goes back to what you said. We could tackle and not tackle in this commission. Um, that I haven't tackled. What my hope is, and my and I believe I share that with my fellow commissioners in our alternative report, is that we can work on this as achieving an appropriate public-private balance and figure out exactly how we would like to design it, both technically and politically. And the attractiveness from my perspective of this approach is that it is, make, it is addressing a market failure. Private insurance can't do the job. It is addressing the fact that we need a public marker, but it is clearly sending a signal uh, to the private sector, hey, we can work with you on this. Okay. This, can I add one more piece Please. that's important, David? This, I think it's going to take us a while to work this out. Um, and what's important in, as we move from here to there is that we, uh, we have to recognize that what we count on as the nation's safety net for long-term care financing is Medicaid. Private insurance doesn't work. Medicare doesn't uh, cover it. We count on Medicaid, but only you only get Medicaid when you're impoverished. Medicaid, although it's made strides in recent years, is not adequately financing home and community-based care, still too oriented in many places toward nursing home care. We strongly recommend moving in the direction of enhancing federal financing to encourage home and community-based care and would go further as to recommend that in dealing with a growing elderly population, which becomes increasingly burdensome to states who are already struggling with their long-term care financing. It absorbs nationally about a third of Medicaid dollars pre-ACA go to, uh, to long-term care. That we need, if we're going to even sustain um, the limited adequacy of our safety net, we're going to need more federal financing as the population ages. So we recommend that as well. And this is more or less the theme of aging in place, deinstitutionalized care, non-custodial care for more home and community Well, it's that people, it, it, um, it is that people want to stay at home and in their communities, and we want to enable them to do so and support their family members. You noted family caregiving at the beginning, another focus of, of our recommendations. Family caregivers are vital uh, to our system, but they need some benefits to help them, and being able to have a paid worker come in is a way to sustain 
family care. We know from experience that getting some paid help doesn't wipe out family care. It makes it a more reasonable uh, task and one in which families can con concentrate on what they can do well while relying on trained caregivers, another focus of our recommendations, to pay caregivers and train them adequately to do the job so that they can work together to sustain not only the individual but the family whose individual whose, whose member needs long-term care. Okay. The Commission did have a fourth category recommendation under advancing a national committee, i.e. that one be appointed to continue your work and similarly convene a White House conference on aging. What's your take? Or to include it in the White House conference on aging. Okay, correct, yes. What's your take on what next steps are possible as we sit here potentially with the Government <laughs> well, assuming the government will be back in business, I um, I am not a fan of uh, new commissions and or old commissions. I, I um, 25 years ago was the staff director of the, a, Pepper the Pepper Commission, a uh, uh, congressional commission staffed uh, whose membership were members of Congress and three presidential appointees, who similarly um, issued a call to action, and you can see where we are. And that so was 1990. 19, that's right, exactly. So uh, I, I think commissions are uh, charged when Congress is not ready to act. Um, they're a way to uh, make it look like there's action when there is none. Um, I think it's much more important that uh, advocates, and by and then I'd include in advocates, family caregivers, uh, workers, um, just plain old American people, all of whom know, may be at risk or are at risk for having a family member need some long-term care, that we get the Congress to pay attention to this issue. And I think that it is a shame that class did not survive. We mentioned it earlier. Um, it had challenges. I think that a mandatory rather than a voluntary program is the way to go. Uh, but it's a shame that it disappeared because it was a hook and we could have improved it over time. Congress needs to act and no commission or committee is going to substitute for that kind of action. So would you say maybe not this Congress but the next Congress? What's your level of optimism on next steps? Well, I've been at this um, for better than 30 years um, and, and simultaneously advocating affordable health insurance coverage for everybody, so health and long-term care. This, people need both. Uh, and we are now implementing the Affordable Care Act, so it took us a while to get that. And I'm going to keep on plugging to make that work and to get us the protection we need for long-term care as well. Okay, Judy, with that, we're at our time boundary, so let me say thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Uh, it was, the pleasure was mine.